You're listening to the Hippie Haven podcast. I'm Callie, a zero waste activist and public speaker, creator of Bestowed Essentials, a line of eco-friendly home and body products, owner of Hippie Haven Shop, an online zero waste store with a physical location in South Dakota as well, and of course, host of this Hippie Haven podcast. If you're new here, I release an episode every Wednesday, which you can get instantly downloaded to your phone for easy listening by subscribing to this podcast on any of the major podcasting apps. The show notes and full transcript for every episode are available on my website, hippiehavenpodcast.com. You can also learn more about me on the website or by following along on Instagram at hippiehavenshop. Before we get started, I want to remind you that my zero-waste product manufacturing business, Bestowed Essentials, is in the running to win a $50,000 small business grant from FedEx. We actually made the top 100 finalists in last year's competition out of over 13,000 applicants across the U.S. in this year, We are going to win, but we need your help. One of the major deciding factors is the number of votes each small business receives. So I'm asking every single one of my listeners to please go vote for us right now. The link to vote is in the show notes. It's also in our Instagram bio. And then save that link and set a reminder on your phone to vote every day until March 8th. If you're passionate about our mission to make a zero-waste lifestyle more affordable and accessible, please also share our voting page on your social media And encourage your friends to vote for us daily as well, because we really, truly cannot do this without your support. This episode is the last installment of my Live Your Best Life series, as we started off 2020 doing the internal work to be our best selves, so that we can then do more impactful external work to help others in the environment. My guest today is Kate Hanley, a best-selling author, personal development coach, and host of the How to Be a Better Person podcast. Today, we're talking about what it really means to be a better person, how to find our life's purpose, how to reduce stress, avoid burnout, effectively manage our time, forgive ourselves for past mistakes, and how to just be the best person we can be. So let's get into today's episode. All right, so Kate, tell me about your story and and what your life path was that led you into this line of work. Well, I had always, I mean, if you looked at my life when I was a little kid, you would probably say, oh, this kid's going to grow up to be a writer. You know, I had published a poem in the paper in fourth grade, and I was writing short stories, like nerding out in my bedroom when I was in elementary school. I worked on every school newspaper. I worked on the yearbook. But it just didn't ever seem like something that was a viable profession. And so I never pursued it once I got out of college. I consoled myself by working in the publishing industry. I figured if I needed to have a job for the rest of my life that I needed to at least be reading. So I got a job as an editor and I worked as an editor both in book publishing and online until my early 30s, until I quit my, well, I didn't quit my job. I raised my hand to get laid off. I was working in the internet during the initial rise of the internet. And I raised my hand to accept a layout, a layoff because I had worked there for several years. So I was going to get a pretty decent severance package. And I signed up to go do my yoga teacher training, which is something I had been sneaking out to go do yoga classes at lunchtime to help me deal with like, you know, just the stresses of being a young professional. And gradually it was becoming more and more important to me. So I thought, okay, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to go become a yoga teacher. And I did this very intense yoga teacher training in New York City. And the ironic thing that happened is all that time practicing and meditating and being on the mat and being in my body helped me see very, very clearly for the first time, and I was 33 at the time, that what I really wanted to do was write. So when I finished my yoga teacher training, I said, 
I'm going to start pitching magazines. And I started my own website. It was called MsMindBody.com. It was a blog, essentially. And I would send out a weekly newsletter to show editors how I wrote when I wasn't being edited. And I started pitching magazines. And it worked. And I wrote for magazines for many years. So I've always been very interested in helping people deal with their stress in a very real way. You don't necessarily have to be a person who considers themselves the yoga type to benefit from some of the stress relieving technique that I like to talk about. And I published several books on reducing stress and then kind of had an epiphany that the reason that we want to reduce our stress is that it helps us be a better person. I'm sure you've had the experience where you've been stressed out and that is when you snap at your partner or, you know, yell at the dog or whatever happens. So it has been sort of an evolution. And along the way, I hired a coach at one point during the recession because all the magazines that I was writing for was closing and I didn't know what to do. I felt like my career was evaporating before my eyes. And I found that it's so powerful to have somebody in my ear to help me be objective that I ended up doing my coaching training. So I kind of added that personal development piece into my writing as well and did and still do work with clients one-on-one, which is very fun for a writer because usually you don't get a chance to see people interact with the things that you're putting out there. So to have those one-on-one real-time conversations was super exciting to me. And you recently published your fourth book called How to Be a Better Person, 400 Plus Simple Ways to Make a Difference in Yourself and the World. And to be a better person is the most popular New Year's resolution. But what does it even mean? Yeah, you know, that's such a good question, because I think it's helpful to think about what it means first by thinking about what it doesn't mean. And it doesn't mean be a perfect person. Um, It doesn't mean even being like um, a virtuous person who never has any fun or who never has a mean thought. It just means every day we're confronted with situations that we have to decide how we're going to respond to. And you always have a choice. Is this going to derail me? Am I going to come at this from like a kind of a lower place? Like, am I going to get catty? Am I going to get bitter? Am I going to get cynical? Or am I going to use it as an occasion to maybe see things from a new perspective, try kindness? try empathy. So being a better person is really when you're faced with those decisions to more often than not really try to, as Michelle Obama says, you know, go high. I love that. And there's so many things that we can talk about under under the the overall topic of how to be a better person. And I've, I've picked a few, more than a few that I want to touch on and just kind of get your professional advice, kind of the okay. starting point for a lot of these. So what advice do you have about improving our relationships? Yeah, well, you know, something that's just super fundamental to all relationships and something that we don't You might hear about maybe in a corporate workshop, but not necessarily so much within the context of your personal life is listening. It is so hard (laughs) to listen. It is, it's a practice. You know, you have to be quiet, first of all. And even if we're not speaking, it's rare that our brains are quiet, especially in today's day and age when we have stuff coming at us, you know, notifications and social media feeds and whatnot. You have to really build up some muscles around just allowing yourself to be quiet and to be receptive and to truly like be present to what the other person is saying. A lot of times when people are talking, we're not even really listening. We're thinking about what we're going to say next, or we're thinking about what happened before we started the conversation, or we're thinking about what we're going to do as soon as the person stops talking. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, that's yeah. usually what's going on in our minds. And it's, I mean, a relationship is about relating. And if you can't, have, you can't really relate to someone else if you can't listen to them. And 
you know, in terms of improving relationships, it's very hard for us to do for other people what we have problems doing for ourselves. So in a way, in a backwards way, learning how to listen to other people also helps you learn how to listen more to yourself, which comes in handy in all kinds of ways. And that's how you can be authentic in your relationships, too. If you aren't saying what you think you should say or saying what you are saying something without even thinking, you know, to be able to listen to somebody else and to be requires you to be able to also listen to yourself. And then that's when things start to get real and juicy and surprising in a nice way <laughs> and really fulfilling. Now, the next one, you've you pretty much you've talked about it in every single one of your books and you have one book dedicated to it called Stress Less, Stop Stressing and Start mm -hmm. Living. I'd love for you to talk about how we can reduce stress because I know 80% of Americans report feeling stress. I, I think in all actuality, all of us feel stressed at some point or another. So what can we do to reduce that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, there are so many things, which is wonderful. There are a lot of levers that you have. I mean, reducing stress to me is the ultimate form of self-care. Stress is here. It, it has a message for us. And it basically just means that we've gotten out of balance about something. And some, a lot of those things we can control. Some of those things we can't. You know, we can't control the economy. We can't control the headlines. We can't even control like what the people that we love say or do. But we can control how we react to those things. We can sort of control. We, we have a lot of levers when it comes to being able to just stay grounded and present and focused and mindful, sort of all these buzzwords really important ways that we can stress less. And it's tough because it's wonderful that all these buzzwords are getting a lot of attention to the point that they're becoming part of our everyday language. But the flip side of that is that sometimes when something becomes part of our everyday language and it becomes a buzzword, you're like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be mindful? What does it mean to be grounded? What does it mean to be paying attention? And I think that the way that we can start to make these things become applicable in our lives is always just to remember that like when we're feeling stressed out, all we have to do is sometimes the quickest way to help yourself feel mindful or grounded or aware is to remind yourself that you can just like stop whatever you're doing. You can kind of drop the line of thinking. You can drop the um, complaining maybe that you're doing with a girlfriend and just take a deep breath. It doesn't even have to be like a super deep. It doesn't have to be a cleansing yogic breath. You know, it can just, you can just tell yourself like, wait a second, I don't, I can choose how I'm going to react in this moment. And, and I'm just going to choose to give myself a little bit of a pause. And then you take a breath and it's two seconds, maybe four seconds if you take a really long one, but it doesn't even matter how long it is because just realizing that you're getting swept away in something and then remembering that you can decide to do something else, even though that something else is, is a breathing which is something that you're doing naturally anyway, but paying attention to it and giving yourself that break and giving yourself something to focus on other than whatever it is is stressing you out opens up this like a whole new world of possibilities. Then you get to decide how you're going to respond versus how you're going to react. And generally when we're just reacting to stuff without thinking, as opposed to respond, which suggests that you're being more thoughtful, when we're reacting, we're typically choosing to do things that create more stress. So it's kind of like, you know, it's this really tiny little thing. It's like the hinge on a gate. You know, the hinge is small, but the gate is big. It can really change your experience of any stressful situation throughout your day. 
And I think these next few fall under the category of stress and reducing stress because they can often be things that are causing that stress. Um, what advice do you have on letting go of anger or hatred, which is really just another form of anger or hurt? Mm, yeah, it's um, that's really like such a juicy one. I think we all have our irrational hatreds or the things that make us angry. I was even talking about this on a podcast episode. So I turned how to be a better person into a podcast. And I was talking about how you can think that you're a pretty decent person, <laughs> right? And then there's all of a sudden there's some situation that comes along and just turns you into like a ragey, judgy monster. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, it's always interesting to remind yourself, well, first of all, if you can just notice the fact that you're having this big angry reaction, which sounds simple. I mean, of course, anger kind of comes in and it's like a wave. It washes over your head and it takes up a lot of your awareness. And so it seems like something that you wouldn't be able to ignore. However, even just being able to say to yourself, like, wow, I'm having a big reaction to this helps you begin to witness it, to be able to observe it. And if you can witness it or observe it, then you there's part of you that can recognize that it's not necessarily the truth. It's not the only thing that's happening. If you can witness something, that means that it is not the same thing as you, right? And so that kind of helps you get a little wedge of space between you and that great big hairy emotion. And then, you know, from there, then you have a whole range of tools available to you. You can take a breath, you know, if it's in the moment and um, maybe your kid said something that just really made you upset. You know, I know that as a cyclical creature, as a woman, you know, we all have hormonal cycles. And certainly when I'm about to go on my cycle, I notice that if I say something to my kids, like it's time to brush teeth and they go, no, and run away from me. I can be like, ah, I just feel like a monster. And so even in that moment, be like, wow, I'm having this great big reaction. And then isn't that interesting? Like kind of trying to cultivate some curiosity around it and then pausing long enough just to take a breath and then be like, you know what? I'm mad because I really want to be able to go to bed because I'm tired. And if they don't want to brush their teeth, then that means I have to be up for longer. You know, mm, so it like yeah. it's like helping yourself get a little bit of perspective about it. And it's ultimately it's having empathy for yourself for having those feelings. Anger is usually accompanied or a cover for another deeper even more painful emotion like hurt or loss or fear. Um, so true. Yeah. yeah. So no. internally, how can we forgive ourselves for past mistakes? Oh, that's such an important one. And man, this and is really such a hard one. It's such a hard one. I know. I wish I could wave my magic wand and we could all just forgive ourselves for our mistakes. Again, it's really hard to do for others what you can't do for yourself. So a lot of times you can get motivated to be kinder to yourself by thinking about someone that you love who's beating themselves up for something, right? We all have friends or family members who talk to us. Maybe they confide in us that there's something that they did and they just feel so terrible about it. And you can see it objectively and you can see their humanity and how they, you know, it's not a, an indicator of who they are as a person. It, it's just it was a mistake and we all make mistakes, right? And so you can want that so badly for them to be able to see like, it's okay. You're still lovable. I still love you. And the fact that you're even upset about it suggests that you're a really great person because you get it, you know? So we have to be able to flip that around and do it for ourselves. So to think about the things that we have done that we don't forgive ourselves for, you might actually, there's more of them than you might even realize 
exist. And so a really powerful exercise to do is to write on a piece of paper because there is something so powerful about seeing something written in your own handwriting and then reading it back to yourself. It's like undeniable, you know, <laughs> you can, you can deny a thought, but it's much harder to deny something that is written down that you are reading that you wrote in your own hand and to just write down, I forgive myself for, and just make a list of whatever pops into your mind. It can be really eye-opening to sort of see all the things that you have been carrying around that you haven't gotten to forgiveness for yourself for. And whether it may not be the big stuff, you know, I think we all have some stuff that we kind of carry around like, ugh, I really shouldn't have done that, right? You might not get to that immediately, but it might just be the little thing like when you snapped at your kids when you told them to brush their teeth and they said no and you went crazy, <laughs> you know? To start to see it in black and white and to actually write down your answer helps you have that same level of empathy that you would offer to a friend. It's super powerful. I hope that if you're listening and this sounds like this is sparking anything in you that you'll give it a try. I love that. I've been recommended that exercise in a manifesting uh, workbook and I, I did it and it was very emotional. It definitely released a lot from me that I didn't even realize I was holding on to. Oh, that so, is so cool to hear. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. I can definitely back up how powerful that is and, and recommend for people to try it. Even if maybe even if you don't feel like there is anything that you're holding on to, there might be something that you don't realize yes. that will come out once you let it. So interesting. Yeah. To do that exercise. I'm really glad you did it. It seems like it's almost celebrated these days to be busy and, you know, hustle and grind and all of that. But at the end of the day, it really isn't healthy. So what advice do you have on avoiding burnout? Well, I mean, I, I wish I could put that into a pill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Because we all need it. And it is, we do have so many opportunities to just keep pushing, right? And it's so easier than ever. I mean, you can even be lying in bed and quote unquote getting things done because we have these amazing little computers, aka our smartphones that empower us to do all this stuff at any time from any place. The best way I know to avoid burnout is really you just have to get super good and faithful about taking your own temperature. You have to be able to check in with yourself and ask yourself, how am I doing? Like, you know, the same way that you would ask a friend. Again, you would say, how are you doing? How's your stress levels? Are you busy? You know, what do you need? That is a super powerful question to ask yourself, how am I doing? And then to follow that up with what do I most need right now? You know, I know that we all know someone who has faced a major illness, or perhaps we've lost them too soon. And we, the reminders are there. Like wellness taking care of yourself is really non-negotiable. Not taking care of yourself doesn't work. It'll work for a little while, but then it stops working. And if you are checking in with yourself on a regular basis, whether that's just, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's a wonderful thing to do to just assess, like, how am I feeling and what do I most need today? If you're checking in with yourself, you're going to start to become aware and more sensitized to when you really are in need of changing things up. I mean, sometimes though, the problem with asking yourself is that you're going to have to try and heed your own requests. <laughs> you may say, what do I most need today? And you might hear something like, I really just want to lie in bed and read all morning, which may not be possible. 
but you can find little ways to honor that desire. And when you find the little ways to honor that desire and you get the experience of how good it feels, it will inspire you to do more. I think going hand in hand with avoiding burnout and feeling overwhelmed is managing our time effectively. What Mm. techniques do you have for time management? Well, to me, one of the most important pieces of developing your time management skills is really thinking about when is the right time to do something. So not the right time as in the only time, but, you know, at certain times of day, you're more disposed to doing different kinds of work. So you have to really think about like, when am I most productive? When am I able to do my deepest thinking or get more the most done on my most important work? That time is what I've heard referred to and I call your power hour. For me, that is mid-morning. Like some people are morning people and they can roll out of bed and do their most important work at 8 a.m. That is not me. I am an introvert and I live with two children and a husband and a dog. And after everybody gets out of the house, I really just need to like compose myself. I need to putter around a little bit and it takes me a little while to get in a groove. But I know between 10 and 12, man, I can really kick out some jams. So I have to make sure that I'm not scheduling meetings for them for that time or appointments or, you know, something that's just going to take me away from that zone. Because when you know that you're taking care of the important stuff, it helps everything else flow a lot more easily. So by the same token, you can think about when you're not really at maximum productivity. And that's when you can schedule things like admin time, running errands, doing your invoices, answering your emails, that kind of a thing. I mean, for a lot of people, that's between, say, three and five, when your cognitive energy has flagged a little bit, but you can still get things done. So that's when you might do like a little bit of a less priority task. And even, you know, for your leisure time, that's not just necessarily about getting work done, but you want to think about like, when is the best time for me to be social and hang out with my friends? Maybe it's not Friday night. Maybe Friday nights you're tired. You know, maybe it's a really Saturday afternoon is prime time for you. And so you kind of want to start to think about what is the rhythm and structure of my weeks that sets me up to be my most productive, most naturally. And that's also how we can avoid burnout, right? Because we're not trying to force ourselves to do things that we're really not in the biological, physical, emotional, mental state to be able to do in that moment. On on the flip side of being a better person, trying to be a better person, what do you think is the importance of being a not so good person, of being naughty? <laughs> right. I think it's so important. You know, I obviously am a huge fan of thinking about how we can make things better. I'm a personal development junkie. I love making progress. At the same time, doing all the things that we know to do to take better care of ourselves, whether that's getting to bed early or eating well or trying to be more present in our conversations with our loved ones, it can get a little wholesome. You know, it can get a little boring. And if you get bored or sort of checked out of something, then you're not going to want to keep doing it. And so I think it's really important to allow yourself to be naughty, to be a rebel. I think we all have that streak in us. Some of us, it's more pronounced than others, for sure. But there are times, I mean, it's kind of the equivalent of when you're trying to clean up your eating. You know, a lot of advice will tell you, like, you need to have a cheat day or two meals a week, eat whatever you want. That is to keep you from getting bored and burning out. Also, variety is very important. So when you're being naughty, you know, you're doing something different than the program. 
the other great thing about giving yourself these quote unquote cheat days, which, you know, this can show up as anything. It could be something related to like your diet or your self care, but it could also be like, I'm going to watch the Kardashians and then call a friend and we're going to trash talk the latest episode. <laughs> The, the beautiful thing about it is that it gives you an opportunity to practice starting again. And I don't care how wholesome you are or how dedicated you are. We're all going to get off track, whether it's because of life or because of us. And we all need to be able to start again. That's all we ever need to do when we get off track. But if you never get a chance to practice those muscles, then it's going to be harder. You know, you're going to get off track and then you're going to stay off track. But kind of it's a beautiful thing to realize like, OK, well, I really went down the wormhole of being catty or I went down the wormhole of like eating Doritos for dinner. Now I'm going to start again. <laughs> and that's going to serve you well in so many things throughout your life. Like just the it's funny because it ultimately is personal development, right? To get off track and then just start again and like learn how to start again and get better at it is just it's only going to fuel your growth more. The last question in this vein, what do you recommend for people who are struggling to find their life purpose? My perspective is that your life purpose is hiding in plain sight. It is not something that you need to go out and find or discover or even uncover. There are puzzle pieces lying everywhere you look, basically. It's kind of like when I said, you asked how I got started in this line of work. And I said that anybody who was looking at my life from the outside would say, oh, that kid's going to grow up to be a writer. But I didn't see it. I didn't believe it. Even if I had seen it, I might not have believed it. So that can be another question. I won't go off into that topic yet. But, you know, it's, it's the things that you love to do, the things that people come to you and ask you questions about, the things that you can't not do. There, a lot of times your life purpose is wrapped up in, in your unique talents and gifts. And the kind of terrible irony is that the things that come most natural to us, the things where we can deliver the most value are the things that we value the, the least because we have an association between being effective at something and working hard. So we don't really trust the fact that something that comes easily to us could be a huge piece of our life's purpose. So you got to kind of examine maybe where you might be diminishing skills or talents or likes or interests that are huge clues to your life's purpose simply because they're, they come so easily to you. And you've made an amazing career as a writer for yourself. You've co-written and ghost-written so many books. You're a best-selling author. You've published four of your own. What advice do you have for Anybody who's aspiring to be a writer and an author as well? My best advice, I would say that having a writing career is a long-term proposition, but that you can also have really make big strides in the short term. So, I mean, to be a writer, you got to write. You know, you can't think about writing. It's so easy to do. I love to think about what I'm going to write. But until I sit down and type it out into the blank document, I haven't written anything. So I think that that's a really important thing. And there are so many ways that we can publish now that we don't need a gatekeeper for. I know blogging was kind of so 1999, but mm -hmm. you can still you can start a blog. You can start posting Instagram stories and not, well, maybe not stories because they're not super long, but you can start posting on Instagram and really thinking about crafting your posts. You know, that's writing and I would say that you just have to believe that it's possible. That, to me, was the biggest piece. Being a writer wasn't viable. And it absolutely is. I Look around. Content is 
everywhere and there are new kinds of content every day. I just heard about a new kind of content. It's called conversion content marketing and it's really about writing sales pages. I mean, there is a niche for everything. So you have to trust that the things that you're interested in, there's an audience for it. For your particular writing, there's an audience for it. And as someone who has been supporting herself as a writer since about 2003, I will say that there are passion projects and they're so important to have. And I advocate so strongly for you to create the time for them, even if it's 15 minutes a day. I mean, literally, you can get so much done over the long term, even in short amounts of time a day. But you also have to take the projects that are maybe aren't necessarily totally lighting you up, but still it's going to teach you how to get a thought down, a complete thought down on a time frame in a way that is of value to places that are going to pay you to publish it. You can always kind of refine your niche and the kinds of clients that you want to work with and pitch over time. But not everything is going to be of living up to this ideal of you're working on this thing that you love and you're in the coffee shop and the sun is streaming in the window. <laughs> There's a lot of unglamorousness to it too. And that is okay. That is a beautiful thing because writing is like any other skill. You just it's a set of muscles and you have to do it. So in the beginning, I definitely advocate taking any chance you can get to build those muscles and you can quickly, quickly refine from there. Where can we go to learn more about you, your podcast, your books, everything that you do? You can come to my website. It's my name, katehanley.com. And, you know, the podcast is also fairly new. It came out, I started it in September of 2019. So you can find it everywhere that podcasts are available. It's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on Spotify. And, you know, I also love it when people connect with me on social media. I'm Kate Han, K-A-T-E-H-A-N on Twitter. And I'm Kate Hanley author on Instagram. And I just love connecting with folks there. So I hope that you'll reach out if anything that I said today sparked a little something in your mind. I would love to hear about it and have a conversation with you about it. Amazing. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time this evening to chat with us. Thanks, Callie. And that's a wrap. If you know someone who'd enjoy the Hippie Haven podcast, share it with them. Or on social media, if you post on Instagram, don't forget to tag and follow me at Hippie Haven Shop. You can support our work here at Hippie Haven by leaving a review for the podcast in whichever app you're using to listen, or you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash Hippie Haven to support the work we do with just $4. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you have a great rest of your day.